0: Thank you, Pastor Wong. We're uh, delighted to be here today. And uh, we've just come out of a week of teaching uh, in Hong Kong, house church pastors from Mainland. And uh, the Lord has been very good uh, in our ministry there. I spent the whole uh, week uh, teaching the book of Leviticus. And um, it seemed best to just focus and, and take you right into the heart of what this is all about. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to walk you into the book of Leviticus, of all books in the Bible. This is, this is that book where uh, people sometimes talk. And someone, even after this first service, told me that this was, was her experience, that she uh, started, teach, started reading through the Bible uh, one year, and she came to Levit- Leviticus and got stopped. this was just her experience too, because there's so many special regulations and so on, sacrificial procedures that are not familiar to us. It's a manual for the priest in terms of how they're supposed to function in the tabernacle, the place of the presence of God in ancient Israel. We want to talk about that this morning. So uh, it's important to keep in mind that as we work through things in the book of Leviticus, these are... Uh, Ritual procedures that are being described. And these are things that you're really, in practice, you should actually be seeing them performed. So it's not like sometimes when you just read it in a text, it doesn't have that effect because you're not not seeing it performed. That's what this really is, though. It's a way to understand what they actually did in the tabernacle in terms of God's place of presence and what that means. But if you think about it, uh, the book of Leviticus is one of the most important theological books in the Bible. Uh, think about how important is the sacrifice of Christ to us as believers. Well, it's foundational. It's, it's what we trust in for our salvation based upon what he did on, on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, the sacrifice of Christ in the New Testament is explained in light of the tabernacle ritual system of sacrifices in the Old Testament. So, for example, sometimes Christ is a Passover sacrifice, and there are certain passages where he's referred to that way. In other places, he is a sin offering. In other places, a guilt offering. In other places, a peace offering. It depends on what the point is that God is making through Christ Christ. In that particular passage, for us to understand all the different dimensions of Christ's work for us. And Leviticus is the basis, kind of the pattern on which we can understand then what Christ has done and even better, he's the better sacrifice than the Old Testament sacrifices. Also, the book of Leviticus is one of the core books, foundational books in the Bible for the holiness of God and therefore the call for us to be holy and this has to do with our sanctification, our growth, our walk with the Lord. And so uh, both salvation and sanctification in the Bible found their fa- find a major part of their foundation in the book of Leviticus. And so, in this way, it's, it's very significant and very important about how we live. It's foundational not only to our salvation, but also our sanctification, our purity and holiness and the way that that is lived out in the world. In this uh, message, I would like to focus specifically on the presence of God with his people. How important is it to you in your daily life? How much do you pay attention to the fact that God is actually present with you? If you know the Lord, then the Holy Spirit is with you, and there's an actual presence And that's a very important way to think about it. How do we live out the fact that God is actually present with us in the world? What does that really look like? What kind of effect can that have? This is true of individual believers, and it's true of us as a body of faith here at Grace Baptist Church. The idea is that he is also among us. And he makes us a body, and he wants us to live as that body. These are issues we want to talk about. And we want to lay some foundations uh, for it in the Old Testament. Now think about what, who do you really like to be around? Whose presence do you really enjoy? Perhaps it's a best friend or your wife or your husband or a particular family member. I'm talking about the person that you... Just like to be in their presence and enjoy them, and they enjoy you and everyone likes to be enjoyed as well as to have enjoyment this is this is important people like to be liked, and this is a big part of what this is all about this presence. I remember when I grew up uh, on a dairy farm in Wisconsin in the united states i w- 'm a farm boy and uh, uh, there's a lot of work to do on a, on a dairy farm. You've got to take care of the cows. You've got to milk them. There's all sorts of things going on. And every member of the family on a family dairy farm pitches in. And that's just what you do. It's day by day. I have good memories of this time. And one of the reasons I have such good memories is I spent a lot of time with my father. And I always really enjoyed uh, being uh, around him. He made the work enjoyable, and he wanted it to be that way. I could tell he really liked having me around, and I liked being around him. And I still like being around my father. He's 87 now, and we like to be together. That's what presence is about, being together, walking together, practicing this presence of someone. And here we're talking about the presence of God and how we should practice that, live it out in our lives. The fact that God is wanting this presence uh, with us is clear right from the beginning and then to the end of the Bible. We have, uh, for example, in Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden, well, God walked with them in the garden. We, we have the fact that Jesus, one of the main names that we have for him is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It's "im" means with. Anu means us. El means God. It's with us God. <laughs> He's the with us God. And that's important. God promises things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, in fact, those who know God... We'll spend all of eternity with him, and he'll spend all of eternity with us. This is a really big deal. The main point is this, that I want to really focus on, and that is, God makes himself present with his people in a special way, and that makes his people special. God makes himself present with us in a special way, and that, that makes us as his people a special people. Yes, God is omnipresent. We can't get away from God no, ever, no, no matter who we are. There's no way to escape from God. He's, he's always available to be in whatever presence because that's who he is. But that's not pantheism. He's not just in every tree or anything like that. He is just present in the sense that nobody can escape him. Uh, and because we're his special people, there is a special presence that he has with us that he talks specifically about in the Bible. And this is one of the main themes of the Bible. And this presence of God with his, with, with, with his people is exactly what the book of Leviticus is really all about, and so let's talk about this more specifically here this morning. I want to talk about the presence of God in the tabernacle, and then I'd like to move and talk about the presence of God and Jesus, and then the presence of God and us, us as the people of Jesus. First, the presence oops there the presence of God and the tabernacle. Now here's, the story goes this way. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And Moses brought them out from their slavery in Egypt. And this is the Exodus. And it's in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. He brought them through some really rough territory to Mount Sinai. And God himself led them along the way with this pillar of cloud uh, by day and pillar of fire by night. Now, this is what verse uh, Exodus 13 says, how it says that. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. You couldn't see the cloud during the night, so the fire in it by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in the front of the people. So there's this guidance. Now, this is leading down through this place we call Sinai. This is a satellite picture of uh, the Sinai region. And they were traveling out of Egypt down this line to this very heavily mountain area down here at the peak. So they're traveling down this way. And... um, In uh, this particular place, uh, as you travel, there's a lot of barren territory like this. There are a few wadis, a few oases, and things like that, but it's, it's very rough territory. And he's leading them through this rough territory, away from the Egyptians. And he comes down to the southern part, and we come to Sinai area. And there's a particular uh, mountain called Jebel Musa, that's the modern name of it. it, means the mountain of Moses. And that particular mountain is back up behind this area here. And we're standing out in the plain looking into the mountains that would be like the Sinai mountain region. You go up this gorge and kind of climb up through, and up behind, up in there's a very high mountain, and that's the, the traditional site of. Of uh, of Sinai, Mount Sinai, and it's a uh, very likely uh, the proper site. Now, as you go up, you keep going higher, and that's looking back toward the gorge as we go up the mountain. How many of you have ever been to Israel? A few of you have been. How many of you have ever been to Mount Sinai? Yes, Mount Sinai is down in the in the very south Sinai region, and this is uh, I've been there a couple times, climbed the mountain. And here we are walking up the mountain. Once you get up so far, the camels can't take you any further, so you end up having to walk up the rest of the way. And here is the picture of the mountain areas from the top of Sinai. Okay? So you're up on this mountain, and God took them here. And he took them there specifically to get them out and away in such a way that he could really be with them. They come to his mountain, and it's often called his mountain in the Bible. And they come to his mountain to be with him and to learn of him and to grow in their understanding of who he actually is. Now, when they got to Mount Sinai, God spoke to them from the mountain and gave them the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant that God brought them out of Egypt. He gave them this whole nation. He gave them the, this covenant. And within that covenant is the Mosaic Law, you know, like the Ten Commandments and many other different things that are referred to there. And he also gave them the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. And here is uh, where he says that, have them, these people, uh, these Israelites, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So he instructs them how to build this uh, tented Tabernacle structure. And uh, this is uh, one design of how it would have looked. Uh, Now, what's the problem with this particular picture? Well, there's no entrance. (laughs) You have to be able to get into it, right? (laughs) Okay, so there's a problem with the picture. But But in other ways, it's a good design. So you have the altar and the basin and then the tented structure with all the different articles in it and so on. Uh, here, the altar and the base, and so on. So, as you go through this, you see these particular features uh, described in the Book of Exodus. Now, here's what it would look like. This one, I think, is at Timna, uh, and it would look like this, kind of looking down from the mountain. And uh, the, uh, uh, the the particular articles that are that are in it. Again, uh, we have here's here's the the burnt offering altar and the basin for water and the, here's the tent and there's a table and menorah and so on inside the tent and we'll talk about that in a moment. So, uh, what we have then is these different uh, aspects of this tabernacle, all of them described very specifically by God for his tent in the midst of their tents. Okay, and this is very important because In Exodus 40, verses 34 and following, as soon as they set up this tent, after they're done constructing it, and when they set up this tent, the next thing that happens right then is then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. That same cloud that led them out of Egypt was going to go with them in the tent all the way to the the promised land. He's going to travel with them. He wants to be with them. He wants to guide them. And so what happens is, uh, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, filled it right up. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until it was taken up. Throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night. The same basic principles. In other words, this was going to be an ongoing presence and guidance from God through the wilderness all the way to the promised land. That's what this was for. Chapter That that moves right into Leviticus. And it says, Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring the offering. And so on. And it goes on and then steps right into the sacrificial system that's to be used within the tabernacle to practice the fact that God was actually present in their midst, right in the middle of the, of the camp. That's what this was all about. And it would have looked something like this. This is an artist's drawing of the tabernacle with the cloud over it and, and, and so on. And so um, what we have here is a, a real important effect of this concern that God actually be present with his people. God actually took up what would be like a, a visible, physical a manifestation of his presence with them. And he wanted that to be seen and to be know that he really was with them, and they were to do this uh, procedures in this tabernacle to show that he was present. So there was a table of bread, and on it was the tw- uh, twelve loaves, uh, and these were the loaves representing the tribes of Israel. This was in the tent. There was a menorah, a lamp stand. Uh, and this is the kind of lamp that would be put up on the lampstand, and it would be uh, seven of them. And then what you have is, uh, we have some pictures of this in archaeological excavations from ancient days where we can actually see what it would have looked like. And then here's the incense altar within the tent, and so they would burn incense in this way. Now, if... Uh, You have a tent with a table, and there's bread on the table. And you have incense burning. And you have the lamp lit, and the lamps are burning. What does that tell you? Someone's home, okay? God is actually there. So they did this specifically. The purpose of it was to make it clear to them, God really wanted them to understand he's actually present. He's going with them. He's guiding them. And this is basic to everything that's going on in the tabernacle. Without this, the tabernacle would not make sense. The presence was the key to everything. And then uh, here's the, the ark of the presence of God that would be in the holiest of holy places way back in the back of the tent. Okay, this is a replica of that. Here's the Temple of Solomon built 400 years later in which in this context now, it says in uh, 1 Kings 8 at the dedication of this temple, it happened that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So it filled up the house, like again it did, it filled up the tabernacle. And the priest could not even stand in it, like Moses couldn't stand in it, because this Lord's presence was manifestly there. So we have this presence of God in the tabernacle. Then. We also have the presence of God and Jesus. And this is the development. It moves on through the Bible because the Bible continues to use this background to explain Jesus and to explain the life of the believer in Jesus. So the presence of God and and Jesus. And so there's this verse right early in the beginning of the Gospel of John, for example. One example of this. And the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. And dwelt. It's actually a word for tabernacled among us. And we saw his glory. Remember, the glory, the presence of God in this glory cloud. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have this glory showing up in Jesus and his direct manifestation, God manifesting his presence in this special way, in the way Jesus acted. What did he do? We see his grace Uh, We see the way he lived. We also, in the things that Jesus taught, the way he taught, we see glory of God. Then, at the end of his life, just before he goes to the cross, there's this high priestly prayer. And one of the main things he points out and that he's concerned about in this prayer is his people that are going to believe in him. How are they going to live? And one of his main concerns is that they live in unity, really caring about one another. And the glory of God showing up in this world amongst his believers has to do with that unity. So the glory which you have given me, he prays this to the Father, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. So here we are in this place. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's saying, I'm passing my glory on to the people that believe in me. And it's fascinating to think about the fact that actually uh, the glory of God is supposed to show up in me. I get to be the one who lives as the glory of God in the world. That's what this is all about. That's what we get to do. What, What better way could there be to live than to be the one through which the Lord's presence shines through uh, in the world, the third point is that the presence of God and us and here there's there 's so much that could be talked about. We do know that God is present with each one of us in the form of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit you 've received uh, from God this presence, and now you need to live that way. you need to live in in according to it and if You live according to this presence. They're just simply certain things you will do and certain things you won't do. God's right there. He's with you. So the idea is this affects then how you think about what you do day by day. Another way to think about this is in the church as a body, like here at Grace. Here at this particular place, as a body, we can live as a temple. He's building us into a temple. And we're all, each one of us, one of the bricks in the temple, okay? We're being built up. And so we, it talks in Ephesians 2 about the breaking down of the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile are coming together as one church. And in order to expand upon that, he talks about, so then, you are no longer strangers, you Gentiles. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Now he's talking about God and his household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, using the household concept of building a house, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Everything's lined up with Jesus. That's what the cornerstone is all about. Then, in whom, Jesus, the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Actually, a a holy temple, that's what the church as a body of believers is. The building isn't the temple, the people are. And we're, we're, the, we're the people because in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The Spirit not only dwells in each one of us, it dwells among us all. And he wants to make us the kind of community where we really can see it. It goes on, it talks about, for the this reason I, Paul, he picks up in the first part of chapter 3, and he talks about the church as this mystery in the history of God's work in his program. And then he picks up again in verse 14. He says, once again, for this reason, and he picks up from the end of chapter 2. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So he's a father who has a family. That's, how he under, that's how one of the ways we can best understand our relationship with the Father. We're the family. He's the Father. As we go on, that he would grant you, according to the riches, this is what Paul is praying of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. This is what this is about, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. might dwell there, again, the dwelling place. And that you being rooted and grounded in love, if you're building a building, you have to have a foundation that you dig. And so there's this foundation. You're rooted and grounded. But what are you rooted and grounded in in the church? Love. Love from God and for one another. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. What does that mean? Well, that's the dimensions of the house. The, the, the idea is that he's using all this terminology to help us that we're built together as one temple, And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, like the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, where they were filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory. Remember the glory cloud. This is the idea. It's pulling all of this material through. And we're actually to him be this glory cloud that shines through us because we're shining his glory forth in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we go on and we see this glory coming through. Now, I, I have a wonderful uh, situation. I'm a father too. In fact, I'm a, a grandfather. And I have this little uh, grandson, three and a half years old. His name, guess what his name is? Levi Aaron Averbeck, okay? Now, he, my son thought of that, <laughs> but uh, uh, he he is just this uh, really lively little guy. We have so much fun. I mean, I really enjoy him, and he really enjoys me. And my wife and I together enjoy him, and we, and, and he enjoys us. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with his children, okay? It's something where we enjoy him, he enjoys us, and we live our life in that way before him. And the more we can do that, the more we actually become what God wants us to be. There's a final verse I want to close with. 1 Peter one twenty-two. It's in the context where God says, and quotes from the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. And since you are holy, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls, you purify your heart, your person. What do you purify your soul for? For a sincere love of the brethren. You purify your soul so you can love well. the 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 holiest person is the one who loves the best, the one who cares the most. Therefore. In light of that, fervently love one another from the heart. You and I, in this way, get to be the glory of God shining in the world, individually and together. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your love and your grace to us. We pray that you'll help us to just walk with you, to practice your presence, and then to shine forth your presence to one another, and to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.